This is uh, B-Fields here. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the Tap In Podcast. It's a milestone moment. Uh, we finally here with it. And so um, our first guest today is going to be Eric January. He's from Chicago, Illinois. Um, he's right currently right now a Juco basketball player uh, working on the next step to go D1. He's also an artist. And on the Instagram page, I'll have uh, uh, his ad a couple of links to like his website and stuff. So y'all y'all can check out his paintings, man. I'm telling you, he's phenomenal. Like you will you will not be disappointed. But uh welcome to the uh episode and uh like, subscribe, tell your friends, uh support, and um yeah, we forget this thing rolling. Welcome to the Tap In Podcast. First guest, Eric January, my friend, close friend. Um, so um just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, kind of like a little bit of your life story, a little bit. Okay. Uh, I'm Eric January. I'm a sophomore right now at Blackhawk College. I'm from everywhere. I moved around a lot. Born in Texas, grew up in Chicago and Indiana. And now I'm in Blackhawk trying to get stuff done. And I don't know. I'm just trying to get, move on a little bit. So uh, when I first met you, you came, I believe, from home. Was it Flossmore? Yeah, Homewood Plusmore. So when you first came from Homewood to like Maryville, like what was that kind of like? Because I kind of have a, I'm not too familiar with Homewood, but like I know Maryville is different from Homewood. Oh, yeah. So like what was Maryville. that kind of, so what was that transition like? Maryville was like, it was kind of backwards, bro. Cause you know, Illinois is so different from Indiana and something, especially like education, like everything was flipped. So like when I got here, I already learned everything that, Maryville already that they didn't learn so like I was good I didn't have to do anything my when I first came here I was just breezing but like the people I never heard of like steel mills or anything when I first came here people would say like yeah my parents work at the mill I'm like mill like what's that bro everybody's like white collar and stuff over here so this is like a blue collar area so that definitely changed but um a lot a lot was a little different, like just readjusting schools. You know, you I was in like eighth grade when I moved here, so that was that was a little different. Just seeing the type of people too. So, um, you pretty pretty tall kid, I'm like um, you're almost six five. I I cool out cool out So, um, you play. I know uh, you play basketball. You're a basketball player, as you mentioned uh, earlier. So, uh, when did that uh, when did you start playing basketball? And, like, when did that love for the – when did you start, like, taking it, like, yeah, I want to go somewhere with it? Um, I always play basketball. Like, it's always been art and basketball. But I've been playing since, like, I was a kid, just, you know, outside with people. Uh, competitively, I've been playing since, like, third, third, fourth grade. And I didn't really start – I hopped on AAU late. I didn't get into AAU until, like, junior year. But everywhere else I've just been playing. Um love for the game kind of came like it came progressively honestly though like you want to keep it a buck like I never grew up idolizing like you no know, basketball players like D Rose you know everybody wants to be D Rose but like I guess that was the closest player you could be like Michael Jordan and everybody they seen so far it wasn't like attainable you feel me I didn't know I was gonna end up 6'5 so I was just playing basketball for fun and then once they got once I got older I started taking it a little bit more serious like eighth grade when I actually transferred over here I said, I'm going to just cut out because I play baseball. I play, I was a state champion high jumper. And 
I was just like, I'm going to just cut out the rest and I'm going to just stick to hooping. So that's when I started taking it seriously. So, yeah. And uh, speaking of D-Rose, like, because especially here at school and I talk to other people about, like, Derrick Rose and, like, stuff like that, like, um, they don't really understand, like, that point in time with Derrick Rose, like, the MVP and stuff, like, how much of, like, I ain't going to say, like, idol, in a way, like, the way, like, we kind of, like, idolized him. Yeah, like, yeah. That he little was a big run, deal. Like, it was crazy. Like, some people just talk, think, talk about Derrick Rose and sometimes slander him. I'm like, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. But, um, so, uh, so, can you talk a little bit about, like, your high school basketball experience, how that kind of went? Mm, high school basketball, it was definitely a roller coaster. So, when I got here, I got, I got to Maryville, like, the middle of eighth grade. So, like, my whole... My whole time I was at home with philosophy, I thought I was ready to be a Viking. And then before you knew it, you know, it's time to be a pirate. Don't <laughs> even know what that is. So I came over here and I was probably like 5'10", I think, like 5'10", five, 5'9", five, something like that. And then six uh, freshman year, I grew to six feet. And then I had like real bad scoliosis. Like my stuff just was out of whack. So freshman year, I wasn't even getting – I was on like freshman B team and I was injured for most of the season. So – it was over with. So sophomore year got cut. That changed my life. But we get into that a little later. But yeah, so that changed my life. And then junior year, I played JV. And you already you already know how that went. Like, it was a whole bunch of stuff I had to go through in order to get to this point now. But it was a lot of a lot of harshness. I was just looking at some of the film the other day. And matter of fact, earlier today, we just found some of the old film. I was just like, dang, I was averaging like 13 rebounds a game. <laughs> Bro, I was just – I didn't even score. I didn't do anything. But when I transferred to King College Prep in Chicago my senior year, that's when everything started taking off. Like my first game there, out of not scoring, I think, more than 12. My first three years of high school, I scored 17 my first game at King. And – I went through some ups and downs there, but of course, like growing pains, you feel me? Now at, at that time I was like six, four, then I was dunking, I was doing everything. And it wasn't until those like big games when we went against big teams that I really started showing up and being like, oh yeah, I can, I can hang with these people. I, I started getting a little bit more confidence, started growing a little bit and then it just started taking off from there. So like, um, what was like the difference between uh, like you played an, a lot of basketball in Indiana and then you went to Chicago. Like, yeah. what, is there like a difference in like, I guess like game intensity or like, I guess how people view basketball in Indiana versus Chicago? Cause like, I guess like Indiana is like big on basketball, but like Chicago is, you Chicago, know, Chicago. Yeah. So like, which one was yeah. like more like the games felt more like, I guess like intense, I guess, like the environment. Honestly, like going back on Chicago, like it was, it was kind of crazy getting readjusted because I stayed there and stuff when I was a little kid. And, you know, being in the burbs ain't really Chicago. I mean, it is, but it isn't at the same time. It's a different level of basketball, depending on how you grow up. But like Indiana basketball is way slower than Chicago basketball. The defenders are really tenacious. They try to get after you. They try to kill you. Like the intensity is crazy. The gym stuff is crazy. Like you seeing you seeing teams every night that just want to go at your neck. People got like a different level of hunger there. And is something that you didn't really see, especially like on JV, like on JV, we wasn't seeing them type of people. So 
being going from JV in Indiana, then going to uh, varsity and playing top teams in Chicago was a totally different beast. Like I had to get like readjusted to the Chicago speed, but like the training was completely different. Like, I mean, my coach had us running three, four miles, sprints after, weights after, and, and then shooting after. And that was like every day. Dang, stairs. Cool. Like this was training hard. Like you really had to push yourself mentally. So um, I didn't really feel like in Maryville I got that. I mean, it wasn't the right type. Like it wasn't no confidence instilled in me for real, for real. But I mean, it is what it is. Like it's all past stuff. But yeah, Chicago basketball definitely is like a different level of intensity. Like the people just, they really want to come for your next. But it's the, you got your brothers on your side that's really going to try to keep you up there too. Cause I had friends like JB, Zay, Ra. All those people at King and Ken, they all helped me try to get to like that next level where they thought I could be. Like they was always pushing me and Coach Ball too. They was always pushing me. Like that was the first time I felt like a coach actually believed in me. Like it was just crazy getting that. And get once you get that confidence instilled in yourself, it's really no limit. Like, and I saw that against the the teams that I needed to. Um, so kind of going a little bit away from like, I guess like the basketball of it all. Um, so like just that move. Uh, your senior year, mm-hmm. what was that like as far as like not necessarily basketball, but more so like personally? Because I know that um, I guess like you kind of get attached yeah, um, to like, I guess like all the friends you have made all three years in Maryville. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you got to leave for one year to graduate mm-hmm. in a whole different environment. So what was that kind of like? I, I can tell you, I remember like the exact, that whole process just because it was like, it was really my one of my trials of faith that God kind of put me through in order to get to where I'm at now. Like, I remember during that summer league, I was actually putting up points. Like, I never was one to put up points. It was always rebounds, assists. I, I was, like, too mentally in my head to get any buckets. But that summer, I said I was going to make a change. I started training. I started doing all this. And uh, I remember, like, transferring, being at that game where – my dad went off on Lux and seeing like every I was doing everything that I could in order to to be at that next level, but they were still playing with me. So when I was able to go to the next school and transfer, like I just remember that feeling of being like, dang, where I'm gonna go? Cause I didn't know what I was gonna do at the jump. I thought I was gonna go to Homewood Flossmore again. I thought I was gonna go to HF, but that wasn't in God's plans. I thought I was gonna go to Lake Central or or Griffith or whatever. I was just looking to go anywhere I could play. I was even about to go down to Texas, you feel me? So going to King, it was like the moment my dad told me, like I was I was at the Y, like of all places. And I was just hooping and I saw my brother and my dad come in and they were just like, yeah, you got to work out at King. And I'm thinking, I'm like, King? Like, well, I ain't heard that name since, you know, I was in Chicago. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was just like, when I saw that and I was just like, I, you know, what if this is it? You feel me? Because it seemed like everything else had just been knocked out the table. And I knew I wasn't going back to Maryville. Like, it wasn't no turning back. Like, my dad had already been banned from Maryville games anyway. So, it was just like, yeah, I'm going on somewhere else. So, I just need to figure out what. And when I first got there, it was a picture. Like, it was just an instant memory that came in my head with uh, me being ranked as a kid when I played basketball, like, early, like, second grade. Like, that's where they took the picture of me being ranked at that high school because it ended up being down the street from my, my other elementary school. 
So just seeing that, but like having that faith though, like it was all trials. Like imagine having your hype, you know, like your head being like, oh yeah, I'm about to go here. And then just go down. Like you don't know no where else to go. Like it's just over. And then like King popped up and it all worked out like that. All those feelings of and those trials of faith kind of made me stronger in the end. And I had to learn that my next year going to college too. So that was a whole another process. So just to kind of, I guess, to push the conversation forward. So you're in JUCO right now, right? Yeah. So um, really, they got this one episode, this one show on Netflix called Last Chance You. I don't yeah, know if you yeah. heard of it. So like the JUCO kind of, it's the football route, essentially. So I'm not saying like that's not because a lot of people I've talked to or whatever, like that's not really the the realistic way of how JUCO works. So with you being there right now, like what is it like really being in them trenches? Like for real, for real. Man, JUCO is, it's not for everybody. Like I'll say that, like waking up and being in the right program too, but waking up, doing the early workouts, you're not going to feel like going to class. You're not going to feel like, like all those stuff, going on games. It feels like high school all over again, honestly. Like you thought you graduated to the next level. Nah, like this still JUCO. Like there's no big numbers. You're, everybody's fighting for the same with three scholarships that all these colleges are offering. So um, it's definitely a grind. Like, cause if you, if you're not working one day then somebody else is and they're going to take your spot. And that's, that really is what it is. And you really got to be self-motivated to do it. Like you can't really have no distractions. Like being in them, it's, it, and it really depends on where you are too. Cause some JUCOs, they get stuff handed to them that other JUCOs don't. And you see, you see the differences once you really get in that system. Like some JUCOs are like, they get all the D1 transfers. So it's basically a D1 squad. They just all transfer into another university. So they basically winning everything. And you got other JUCOs. It's just kids from the, around the area that still want to hoop. And then you got other ones that everybody's fighting for. So it, de- it depends. It really does. So like, as far as like the team aspect, when you kind of have like a situation to where like everybody's trying to reach it, reach to the next level, uh, what is like the team aspect like? Because it's like in high school, everybody kind of everybody kind of know by the time, you know, junior, senior year come around. Am I really trying to play college? Am I really trying to do this? So not everybody's kind of in that mindset of like. I'm trying to go off and make it out, you know what I'm saying? But like when you're in Juco, everybody's kind of in the same. I had the same mindset. Yeah, I'm trying to get to the next level. So like as far as like being a team, like how does that work? You know, being a team is like, it's really, it depends on your coach, but like, it depends on who's really willing to step up and get buckets really on a continuous basis. Cause that's really the, the thing that separates people. It's not, it's not the amount of talent you have is really how consistent you are doing it. If you consistently putting up a double, double or a triple, double, you're going to get buckets. But if you just do that, like one or two games, you don't really, it doesn't really mean anything. You had, you got it's a long season. So like everybody fighting, like it's a certain dynamic. You got all these personalities and now you're recruiting, you got kids. I had people from uh, the Native American. One of them was Native American. We had kids from North Dakota. We had kids from, uh, uh, oh snap. <laughs> we got kids from Europe, bro. And that, these are like my homies, you feel me? So it depends. You got all these like different personalities going into one jar. 
and then you got to figure out how to balance that and then still get yours at the same time because there's going to be some coaches that want you to just fill a role because, you know, they just trying to win at the end of the day. They're just trying to get buckets or trying to get a check. It depends on what it is. But, yeah, you got people from all over trying to get the same thing. Right. So uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about when when this was. So I remember um, just being in high school, and I think I probably went over to your house or something. And yeah. I just walk in, and boom, I see artwork everywhere in your room. So I'm just kind of like, man, I didn't know this Negro could, could you know, <laughs> could draw or paint yeah. or whatever. So uh, can you kind of tell us about, like, when you started – uh, when you started painting and like, when did you like take it serious? I started painting my senior, no, I started painting summer 2017. So that was like the year, my sophomore year, like the summer going into my junior year that came right after I got cut. I always been able to draw, but I needed just like an outlet. I was like in a really dark place after that. So I just needed an outlet to get something out and I just chose to really just paint Michael Jordan you feel me like people was already asking me could they draw me and stuff and I was figuring like they paying me to draw them like why not paint them you feel me and painting was just like it's just some brushes I never painted before or anything but it's just some brushes like I'm gonna just pick it up so I went to the store got some canvas and I just picked it up and I just started painting and then it kind of took a life of its own really I say last year because I started putting out those big canvases I started making noise I started going to art shows or whatever actually no yeah yeah it, it went to another level last year but my senior year is when I started getting a little bit more notice because I was in Chicago I was able to get plugged into that that art scene over there so I was there when you had your first uh art show um so can you kind of tell us like uh I guess generally like how art shows are really run and then go into like how yours like went, like um, kind of like, I guess like um, you've been to art shows and you kind of know how it runs, but like, how mm-hmm. was it um, different when it was for you? Like it was your stuff on the walls and everything. When it was my stuff, you don't realize how much goes into art shows until you plan one and do one all by yourself or not even just all by yourself, but just it's focused around you. Like you're the singular person in that show. So, like, I had been, uh, I think, three or four by the time that I decided, like, I feel like God was like, yeah, it's time to do yours. So I was like, okay. But we're in a, a middle of a pandemic, and, you know, that's when for Corona was first hot. You know, Miss Rona was starting to take off. Oh, me. We didn't, even, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even know, like, if, if we are going to be able to do anything or not. So I'm sitting here marketing it and doing everything. But, like, at the beginning, doing the art show, I was like, I had I had one of my friends, Amaz, one of my mom's uh, people named Amaz. Shout out to Amaz. He's like Amaz of Art on IG. I just did a mural with him and everything. That's like, that's my brother. But um, him and Riggio, and he's a recording artist. But uh, I knew they had a gallery. And I was just like, you know, I hit them up. And we just started talking. And I was like, yeah, I, I'd like to have a show or whatever. And they were like, bet. Like, we got a space downtown and everything. And we can like start working on stuff. So when I, when I kind of got that green light, I was just like, all right. And we had been talking before this, like early in the year, like what ideas I had, if I was going to have a show, cause I had been talking about, you know, 
I'm gonna have a show, I'm gonna have a show, I'm gonna have a show, because I had seen everybody do all these little these little gallery shows or whatever. And I'm like, I'm competitive, so I'm looking at these people working. I'm like, y'all doing this show? Like, I could do that too. You feel me? So <laughs> I could do that. So I'm looking at them and you know, art is all relative, so you can do whatever you want. And if people like mess with it, then it is what it is. But I'm I'm looking at what people put into it and I'm thinking, yeah, I do that already so why not have like a show just just around me and I had I had just done a couple shows that time before I had just actually I got denied from some big art shows I was like if they not gonna put me on then I'm put myself on so uh just planning that out in in the middle of a pandemic not being sure how it was gonna work going into like merch advertising tickets the actual the actual paint I knew I had to do on top of that so like you had to, I had to balance my schedule of being an athlete and being an artist. So waking up five o'clock in the morning, going to the gym, doing that for a couple hours, then coming back, painting literally from like 10 to 10, doing the same thing every day. And then sometimes you have to work on like the marketing and stuff, or you have to work on like reaching out to different collectors, ticket sales, all this other stuff that goes into it. And then you have to go to the gallery space, make sure everything's tight. And Amaz and Ridge really helped me with that, just making sure everything was good. They took care of stuff on their end, and they were just really supportive of what I had to do, and especially my parents, too. Like, they helped me a lot in, in the stuff that I had. I didn't have all the initial capital that I needed to get all the show running, so they helped me, and they were just like, you know, pay us back after the, after this gun. So, like, cool. So after I was able to do all that stuff, um, you know, the show came into fruition, but it was just crazy um, seeing all that come into work or come into play, just how everything was going. Like, you got there. Like, you remember when we first got there and you just pull up like, man, this is the day because you have been talking about it all summer. Like, you don't know how it's going to go or whatever. And just seeing these people come in and they want to support your work. You feel me? And seeing people's faces, like, them be just being blown away because they didn't – some people – they hadn't even seen my work in person yet. You know, having something on an IG screen or an Instagram is way different than seeing a person being able to touch it, being able to see all the things like in one space. So it was definitely trying, but it was definitely well worth it. Like that whole night seeing, we had like three waves of like 30 plus people. Security guards trying to kick them out though too, cause you know, it was a little bit over the pandemic rules, but. And I can uh, vouch, I can vouch for the numbers. I was there, I had the tickets, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you was a ticket guy. Oh, bro, but uh, yeah, bro, it was that was really crazy going through that whole thing. I would definitely do it again too. Like when I at the end of the show, I thought it was only the beginning. Like I looked at it, and I was just so prepared, and it was stuff that wasn't going my way that night. Like, I mean, it was some stuff that just went out the door, and I was like, I really don't care. Like, I wasn't gonna let anything ruin that night, and most of it was perfect. Like, you just came with the little stuff get to you. But yeah, preparing for a show, doing all that stuff, going up doing knowing all that goes into it it's just really crazy and i got mad respect for the people that do it all the time and then shout out to this guy uh to my guy jp too he ran the uh, square one culture gallery in miller and he's the one i had my first show at uh back in 2018 so and he's where i sold my first piece at so yes i shout him out so like as an artist um and like the fact that you play a sport too so, like, how does that kind of um, coexist with each other? Like, with you being an artist, like, you kind of see the world differently than a regular person. And sometimes, right. I guess, like, in sports, it's a set way in doing stuff. 
but knowing you as an artist is kind of like I kind of work with what I kind of like what I feel kind of sort of so like how does that kind of coexist with each other and like um just as an artist like what is it like because we know y'all see the world differently than everybody else so Mm -hmm. can you kind of touch on that a little bit too as well yeah like last year I feel like it was a big experimentation of the mindsets between like an artist and then an athlete like you can't approach the game I don't feel like or approach them in two in the same uh, mindset because art for me is like passive like I can do something not be afraid to fail take a step back look what I did I can go back or either correct it do what I need to do I'm free-flowing like I get to you know I can plan some stuff out but like it doesn't matter what I do because I know I can rectify it I can do this I can do that but like in basketball it's like a totally different mindset like you're aggressive like you got to be you, you the dog, like, it's all dog, like, it's all fighting, you feel me, like, it's always a, a battle, and not having a passive mentality, like, you can't be passive in basketball, otherwise you're just gonna get ran over, so, like, struggling with those two mindsets, because I was painting so much, it's kind of hard to switch gears, especially, like, when you're an artist at heart, you feel me, like, knowing, and this is me, like, figuring out by myself, like, knowing what to switch with, like, how to switch it, like, nobody was telling me, like, I'm, you already know, like, you have to be aggressive in basketball, but, like, just being by yourself and going through that and trying to see what mindset is going to be the best for basketball because some of them, like, switch and seeing the world. Like, I see the world in color. I notice, like, all the little things all the time. Like, I can freeze stuff in my head and all this stuff. But learning how to apply that to the basketball world was like a little different at first because I had to learn that my brain worked different and it explained a lot of the things that I went through before because like if your brain is calm and you you dealing with the stuff like you good but when you like in a rush like I never work I never rush a piece you feel me not once I don't rush my artwork because I know what it takes to go into it and I know like what feeling I get when it's a complete so when I'm in basketball, like if I'm rushing or something, like something's wrong. Like it's the difference between rushing and then being in control and having a pace and still being playing fast at the same time. Like it's totally different. So learning the differences between those two things and then like playing off of emotions too, because you were talking about like artists, we we see stuff, uh, see stuff like with emotions or whatever. Like my game for basketball is like emotionally charged for a long time, like being angry at people at the top at, at Miraville and playing, trying to prove, prove people wrong. And I'm like, I did out, I, I did what I set out to accomplish was to just prove everybody wrong. Like I remember when Lux just said like, you you were garbage, like you're not gonna play a, a game of varsity basketball and was playing freshman ahead of me. And I worked that whole season just having that man on my mind, just like trying to prove everybody wrong. And then it got to a certain point, like, you realize, I don't care. <laughs> you feel me? Like, <laughs> like, what do I care? Like, these people think, you feel me? Like, I'm already here. Like, this is my life. I'm not going to let some other man dictate what I'm going to go through or how I am. Like, I haven't seen him in, in years at this point. So, like, why why dwell on it? Like, and I had to wreck and, and deal with that stuff on a daily because that's what I was thinking about and playing through that anger. Like, and, and people will remind me. Like seeing those other things, seeing people with like, not success, but seeing what I feel like I could have been if I had did this good, that could have been, could have been. I was just like, man, skip all that, like all the emotion stuff that I felt in the past. I didn't want to deal with it no more. Like I just had to forgive. Like, I was like, look, God, you know, I got to deal with this. 
I'm going to forgive these people because I don't want to hold on to that, like, emotional stuff because I feel like it was holding me back because, like, an emotional – when you're dealing with, like, emotions, it's like a roller coaster, bro. Like, all this mm-hmm. stuff is always flowing. Like, if I'm angry, if I'm angry one game, like, I'm going to play great. But if I'm – I don't really care the other game, I'm, I'm going to play like I don't care because that's, that's really what it is. Like, these people aren't in my head anymore. So, like, dealing with that, uh, it was definitely different. Like, it was definitely trying to and learning how to identify what – the stuff was that they left behind and then learning how I could deal with that and then learning how to leave that stuff in the past and not and recognizing like the habits and stuff and just learning how to just forget all that so like um so recently you know um a movie just came out and it's uh the uh, Fred Hampton movie I don't is it Jesus and the Black Messiah Judas and the Black Messiah. Ju- Judas and okay, Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. So that movie that came out. So you actually have a piece, a Fred Hampton piece that you came out about like three, four months ago. Yep, it was the summer, July twenty twenty. So um, a little bit about a little bit about the piece or whatever. So um, as far as like Fred Hampton, and I consider, and I'll understand, you've been in Chicago for about a couple years now, so I consider you a yeah. Chicagoan essentially. So, <laughs> so uh, what does Fred Hampton, I guess, mean to like the city of Chicago? Cause like, well, I guess like the black people in the city of Chicago, cause like mm-hmm. the way like they really just like took him out and like really just tried to erase like everything he did. So like mm-hmm. in your eyes for you to make that piece, like what does he necessarily, is there something like about him that like means a lot to like the people in Chicago or uh, I think it's for, the you. yourself? I think, well, for me personally, I feel like him being so young, like people forget like this man was like 21, 22. Like the government, like we, the United States government, the big and scary government was so afraid of this man uniting the poor black people, poor white people, gang bangers, whatever. They was afraid of this man really trying to change the culture in America. Like what he did, that's why they referred to him as the black Messiah. So, but going back to what, he means to the people of Chicago, I feel like sometimes he was overlooked because his his history had been erased to a certain extent. Like, it's pictures and stuff out there, but, like, I mean, if you look at his family right now, so his son, they're fighting to save his son's, uh, their their family home right now in Chicago. And he just got, they just got this big blockbuster movie. I feel like and stuff like that, some of the, the money made for the movie should be made to, make a museum for them or do anything, save that home. They're, they're still fighting for scraps. I think they're fighting for like 500,000. And this movie is easily going to pull in mills. You feel me? So I think that stuff like that uh, is kind of crazy. But what he means to Chicago, I think it just represents like the, the youth and how people aren't really, like they're connected to something, but they're so powerful that they can't really understand it. Like Fred Hampton being so young and being a revolutionary and being able to change the amount of what he did in such little time is scary to the people at the top that know they can't control that. So I think being uh, so young and being what he was doing or doing what he was doing uh, could really have changed like the, the whole think of what we see today. Like maybe we wouldn't be saying Martin Luther King the way we are. Maybe we would have been saying Fred Hemp. 
you feel me? And his history being erased the way it has been and the government just acting like what this was in 1960 something. You feel me? Like our parents was born in the 60s. Like this is not this is not like this this old thing that's not relevant. Like this is still very relevant. If you look at just history as a whole, that is not that long ago. Like Ruby Bridges, that was the girl that was uh that went to like the first desegregated school in, in the South. She's only like 60 something, 50 something. So like, this is still very relevant history. I think that the fact that they were able to rewrite history and act like it never existed and just kill all these people that were really trying to make a difference like Fred Hemp and everything just, just erased them was horrendous. But like my point in that piece was really trying to connect Chicago back to Fred Hemp and like seeing those different people that follow him and his legacy. They might necess not necessarily do exactly what he does because nobody's going to do exactly what he does, but I chose different celebrities and people that I think people will recognize definitely from Chicago that could do stuff. Like one person I wish I would have put in there besides, you know, because it was Chance, her, uh, the mayor, Harold Washington. Harold Washington, you feel me? People, I mean, we, we still recognize him, but like there's still uh, stuff around him that people still have yet to figure out. And then, I mean, in common too, like these are all big figures that I think people were able to recognize that they share some of Fred Hamp's qualities. And then I didn't even, it was no point in putting D Rose in there because, you know, I already painted bro. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was always like, it was just like, man, what he did cannot go unnoticed. And my big thing is like, not being able to just rewrite history like they did, act like it didn't exist, act like this is all new information. If you see like what's going on right now, it's a lot of the stuff is the same thing what they're doing right where back then. People were calling for change. People were, yeah, I mean, it's everything. And you see like the styles and stuff, everything, like it's all mimicking that time period. So I think we're in a crucial time period that stuff needs to be changed. And it's good that we kind of digging up this old history that shouldn't have been forgotten in the first place. Right. And then really like, bro, like the one thing I really learned like from this pandemic for real, um, especially like with the height of like Black Lives Matter and all that stuff was like, uh, bro, like um, really just the way how they taught history going like K through 12, like was just so was so like set up for us to like really like not know what the truth is, bro. Like all the pictures and stuff, they they had color back in the 70s and 80s, but why everything in black and white? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You don't, about that. you don't think about that at the time, but like now we starting to have like real, I feel like in the first time and really like in our country's history, like because of the pandemic, because we were all able to really like, because we couldn't do nothing else. So it was like, mm -hmm. we all, we kind of had to face this. So like, this is like the first time, like we actually for real, for real, like got to really call that kind of stuff out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people like Fred Hampton and uh, other big heroes that should have been bigger are now starting to get put, pushed more to the uh, forefront in my opinion, because we're able to like, really like harp on it now. Cause everybody listening for like the first time in what, 400, 500 years. Yeah, they got no choice but to listen to like this stuff. It's been like black history is American history. No matter what way you try to twist and turn, there's always going to be it really is. a black person at the back of it that didn't get any credit because he wasn't considered a human. 
You feel me? Like it's just and when we was, uh, we was three fifths. And we was three fifths. <laughs> I mean, that's still in the constitution right now. You want to keep it a buck, they still consider us three fifths. They just don't follow that part of the constitution anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's just it's just so crazy to like the pandemic and stuff like open my eyes to like a lot of stuff, for real, for real. But like, um, so as far as like, um, what's I about to ask you? So as far as like your paintings and stuff like that, where does like your inspiration come from? Like, who? Who have you have you looked at somebody who's like, yeah, you know what? I like uh I kind of want to start painting now because I kind of like his art or whatever. Yeah, my art, my art has changed uh from like when I first started, like it was kind of like a cartoon. I always, always love cartoons. I still do to this day. But like cartoons, comic books, it was kind of that style, like when I first started. But like gradually getting more realistic and now being I'm an art major in school now. So like I get to learn the history behind it and learn about all these things and learning where they got their inspiration from and seeing what makes them so raw. Like this is where I kind of pull my, my work from. I mean, it's always like experiences, but it's like other people's experiences, too, because you're able to tell a more relatable story. You feel me? So it can get people more like in. I wanted to be uh, my style and my inspiration comes from like other people's experiences, my experiences, uh, religion, like that's a big thing of mine now, especially with the whitewashing of Jesus Christ. You feel me? Like I just, every time I look at that stuff from back then, I'm like, bro, it's just so wrong. It just doesn't make sense. Like not seeing anybody that looks like me uh, based on people in Africa, like that doesn't make any sense. So seeing that, wanting to rewrite stuff like that is definitely a driving factor, definitely things that motivate me. And, uh, I don't know, just seeing seeing the world around me because I can constantly pull inspiration from anything. Like I never had just like creative block. That's not a thing. Like I'm always, I always stay creative. I have to turn it down if anything. <laughs> you really right. like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to turn it down a little bit. So like being creative, you can pull inspiration from anything. Like I can look at this computer in front of me and say, I want to do a pattern like this computer and, and, and put that in my work somehow and have it relate somehow or I could look outside and look at this grass and say I like this color I like this bark and see how I could kind of put that in my work too like anything you could look at water you could look at that cap you got on you look at the door in the background you could see what they have and you can see how you can pull that and make make it make sense so that's where I kind of pull my inspiration from and that's and that's great um now I guess um, just try to uh, wrap it up a little bit. Don't want to go too long. So I'm going to just ask you three real quick questions. Uh, you can elaborate on them if you want to. But um, so like my first one is, so like who's your favorite basketball player and why? My favorite basketball player. I mean, of course, D. Rose is up there. But Drew Holiday, that man is like always like people that's like comparable. You feel me? So we're around the same height. Same type of build, but he's like he's tenacious on both sides, and he always gets a bucket. Like it's it's always an easy twenty. It doesn't even feel like he's ever doing too much. He's always in control, always on cruise control or whatever. But he's playing hard, still playing smart too. He knows the game back and forth. So that's a player that I look up to for sure. Yeah, that yeah, I could definitely I could definitely see that. 
You know, mine's King James all the way, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Braun is different. Braun is different, bro. I just I just never – I didn't look at Braun and say I could do that. I look at Drew Holiday and I'll say I could do that. Braun, you be doing some crazy stuff, bro. <laughs> I feel you, bro. <laughs> that man is different, stuff. bro. That man is different for real. Um, So my second question, Um, I'm a big music guy. You know what I'm saying? And on this one, you know, I'm 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 top dog entertainment, but you know, not everybody feel the same way. So uh Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole. Jermaine. Jermaine. Jermaine, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Kendrick and J. Cole fan, but like at the end of the day, it's cold. But my eye, my ears definitely grown to Kendrick though, too. Cause that man has some heat. But Cole, he always gonna be, he always gonna be right here now. I mean, I could, I could respect it. I could respect it. He, he got yeah. some great stuff. It's just, man, Kendrick, his storytelling, man. That when I be sitting, I remember one time I was sitting around, I was listening to a uh, damn, and uh, I, and honestly, like when I was listening to it, they kind of overplayed a lot of the songs on there, so I never really like got to really sit we down. We stopped playing like, it. Yeah, they, yeah, they, uh, they, they played a lot of stuff from like when the album came out. They played a lot of songs. From it, overplayed it, but like once I sat down this to, I'm like, yo, this is like phenomenal work, and I think that's kind of when I was like, yeah, this man here is fantastic. You you listen to like his early like stuff when he was still just like basic, not trapping, but like it's the early stuff yeah. that doesn't get as much credit. Like he's been a genius forever though. Like exactly. you look at people like that. I want to be like long lasting artist, like a person like that. Like that's another thing what you was talking about inspiration, mm-hmm. music. Like that's a huge thing. Like, if I'm in my zone, like, right now I'm working on a piece that's really feminine. So, like, I'm listening to straight 90s. Like, I'm jumping, you feel me? Like, I'm chilling, I'm vibing. But, like, if I, when I was listening to this Rose piece, when I was making this Rose piece, bro, it was straight trap anything, bro. Like, it just – it puts you in a whole different, like, energy. So, being able to do that and, and it just depends on the piece. But, like, music is a huge, huge part of what art can be. And so, uh, what was the other question I was about? To, oh, yeah. So, you, sir, I remember, um, I, I remember, uh, it might have been last semester. It might have been last semester. I remember you, uh, we was talking on the phone. You was like, hey, in one of my art classes, bro, we had to paint this lady. And, she, bro, she was naked. It was, yeah. it was decent. I was like, hey, <laughs> I'm like, yo, what kind of class is that? I need to take that out here. You know what I'm saying? I'm taking all these. Yeah. Uh, all these uh hard classes because you know I'm trying to be a you know an engineer and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, I wish I could get a class like that. <laughs> nah, that ain't for everybody. It ain't for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that class was different, bro. <laughs> that class was different. Yeah, it was a life drawing class. My mom, you know, she's she was like, what? Like, you gotta take the class. And I was just like, yeah, like it's just I'm gonna be drawing naked people every day, and it was just like, hey. It is what it is. At first, like when I first got in there, bro, I was just like, hey, uh, I don't know how this is going to be because, you know, everybody else, they're all chill and everything. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how it's going to be. So I'm sitting there like, I'm not worried or anything. I'm just looking like, I'm just anticipating like, is this going to be like a weird class? Like, it's going to be awkward because like, it is what it is. But as soon as like she got there and stuff, I was just like, dang, like that's a naked lady. I got a sketch. My professor was like, all right, 30 seconds, go. And he's like, this is a great assignment. I was like, oh, snap. Like, I couldn't even focus on that. So, like, you got to just focus on line and doing everything right. And before you know it, like, you get numb to it. Like, it's, it is what it is. Like, it's, it's just there. Like, you just get used to it. I feel you. Because I remember when you first yeah. told me, I'm like, 
like that class seemed hey, hey. Yeah. let me see I, I started going to my uh um I, I was dangerous gonna call up my um academic advisor like hey y'all got any class like this class. <laughs> <laughs> oh bro yeah that class was different though like that class was really different and we had to wear a mask in that class bro that class was like three hours too though every day that's three crazy hours. three hours and that was right before practice all right, apple or orange juice? Apple. Orange juice. I only drink it when I'm sick, bro. Apple is, you know, it's the way to go. I mean, honestly, that whole, yeah, orange juice is not, not good at all. Unless, 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 uh, unless it's like first squeeze, like at a restaurant or something, it's decent. Are you but... upper echelon, boy. Hey, cool out. Chill, chill. <laughs> <laughs> you upper echelon, boy. <laughs> But um, so the last thing I'm gonna ask you before we uh close out uh, so what's your favorite memory with me? And no holes bar, you can tell any story, don't matter. All right, all right. I was trying to keep it a little, a little, you know, case sensitive. But, uh, <laughs> I remember when we was like, I was a junior, so you had to be a senior, bro. And Black Panther had just came out, and. You know, Shorty, she, you know, remember Shorty was just wild and we saw her, we saw her with new dude out there. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you went up to her, bro, and you went up to white dude and you was like, uh, what you, what y'all say? He was like, what did dude say in Black Panther, bro, when he was like, uh, oh, you a colonizer. And we started, he was like, who, who, who? That, was, <laughs> that, had me, <laughs> that had me so dead, bro. I just remember that like it was yesterday because we was walking out. We was walking out and we saw dude. And I was like, dang, like that's really dude. And then y'all came over there, y'all who who colonizer, colonizer. <laughs> I was dead. So yeah, bro, that, was, bro, like that was funny, bro. That was bro, that funny. was like top tier. That was like top tier, bro. But we got we got heck of memories, bro. But yeah, that, that definitely stood out like nah, that bro, that's crazy. Funny. Uh, that was crazy. Nah, uh to the um American public, man. This this ain't me for real. I'm I'm a change man. I'm a change nah, man. Nah, he basically the same, but that was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. But sure, uh appreciate you, man, for coming on. Um, like I said, uh on my webs on the uh IG page, we're gonna have his at. You're gonna have a web, we're gonna have a website on there. So y'all definitely get locked in with this man. Talented, man, for real, for real. Y'all need to tap into this uh to this uh, artist, you know what I'm saying? So uh, appreciate y'all for coming on and thank you, Eric, my first thank guest. You, bro, for having me. Yes, sir. <laughs> Getting a B-Fields tap in podcast. When you got to say something at the end, bro, you got to be like, hey, this is B-Fields, you know, tap in. You feel me? No, I, I can't or just you gotta say have like a You got to have like a tap in button or something. You remember that, uh, what was that, Staples? When they had the oh, button, you're a bro? clown, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have that. You got to have a B-Fields tap in. Hey, I might have to. I might have to think on that. I have to talk to my uh, PR department. We we have to get that set up. But appreciate y'all for coming on. Yes, sir. Uh, that's it. I'm done.